Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am your host, Megan Reardon Jarvis, and I have to tell you, I feel like I've been cheating on the audience because I have been sitting and talking to our guest for about a half an hour. So we have um, a little connection and a love affair going on, talking about all the people that we have in common and some really hard things that have been happening in the grief world, in his grief world. But Ben May from the New Normal Charity, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So people might be able to tell from your accent that you are not, in fact, in Detroit. Tell us, tell us where <laughs> you are right now. Uh, so I am. I'm in Hackney in London. So I'm. I live in. I live in East London. Yeah. yeah. If you if you know Hackney, it's a wonderful part of the world. Yeah. Well, we talked football a minute ago, and you said that you can hear the cheering crowds of my 13 year old's favorite Arsenal, even though they're not they're not your team, which I totally understand. Um, but we will not speak the name of your team because this is my podcast and we're only Arsenal supporters here. Um, ben, I want to I have my audience get a chance to get to know you and your story a little bit. So can you start um, by just sort of telling us how you come into the world of grief and loss? Yeah, of course. So um, <clears throat> it, it started in 2015. Um, I was at work one day. I'm a barber. Uh, I've been in the hairdressing industry for 21 years. Mm. and this young man walked into my shop. I'd never met him before, never seen him before, didn't know anything about him. He had actually managed to find me online through Instagram, and he came in, he sat down, I started cutting his hair, and he started telling me about himself, about his life, about his background, about his experiences, uh, and then after about 20 minutes, he told me that his dad was dead. So this kid, Jack, his dad had died in 2013, Dave, of skin cancer. And this was a serendipitous moment because my dad, Steve, had been diagnosed the week before with a terminal brain tumour. And this was really the first conversations that I was having about grief and about loss. This first moment was this kid just walking in and sitting down. Mm. Unbelievable. And it didn't, it didn't stop there. So what that feels like one of those, like, you know, kismet sort of holy moments where um, it feels like your boat suddenly tacks, right? And all of a sudden you're headed in a different direction. But Jack didn't just come in and get his hair cut. No, no, he didn't. He attached himself to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> like a puppy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I like the moment that you're talking about so obviously meeting jack is this really important integral moment in the story of myself and my journey with grief and the new normal but there's something that happens the week before and that's okay. the phone call from my dad and I, I don't know if you can sort of remember a moment like this but this is the first time that i've received a phone call from someone significant to tell me this type of news and my dad had been suffering with headaches for a, a few months, but hadn't mentioned it to me. His eyes had been going a bit funny. And then he went into work one day. He had been a builder for 40 years yeah. and he picked up a brick and a trowel and he had no idea what to do with them after 40 years. Yeah. yeah. And he was taken to the doctors that day. Uh, the doctors did some tests. They thought he might've had a stroke. Then they thought it might be early onset dementia. And then within about a week, they realized that he had this brain tumor and then they did the biopsy 
and I remember waiting for him to call. I was again at work and I'd just finished a customer and my phone rang and I looked down and it was him. And I picked it up and I answered it. And it was a warm day. It was early summer. Mm. And I, I remember walking out of the shop and I can feel the sunshine. Mm. And across the street is a very quiet part of Portobello Road. And I turned and I looked back at the shop and all he was saying on the other end of that phone was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And after a little while of him telling me how sorry he was, he said, it's terminal. I can't believe it, mate. I'm so sorry I've let you down. Mm. And it's such a, a, a significant moment. Yeah. Because... You know, Jack could have walked into my barber shop the next week, and my dad might not have been diagnosed with it. Right, and term. it would have just been a, it would have just been a conversation, right? It would, yeah, and been a game changer, yeah, yeah. But it's that, it's that, it's that moment, yeah, that will stay with me forever. The warmth of the sunshine, yeah. the, the the way that the shop looked as I look back across it, and just him thinking that he had let me down. It's such a visceral, I mean, you're describing that almost like I can see it like a movie. And I think it's because we use our five senses to sort of understand experiences. And our brain has this way of like, well, I mean, they have actually studied it of sort of sharpening because it's trying to protect you from this terrible thing that it can't protect you from. Yeah. So what ends up happening is we tattoo it in, in mm. this way that like we could we could we could make we could make a perfect movie of it if we had the resources yeah 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 and it's it's I suppose there, there's a few moments like that in my life and you know I always I always talk about loneliness you know that feeling of being really completely alone and I remember I was 21 when I moved to London which was a couple of years ago now um but mm -hmm. I was sat in in this house in in mile end where i moved to and you know london's a, a big city there's nine million people that live here and i was sat in this house in mile end and both of my housemates were out i didn't have many friends in london at that point i'd only been there a really a really short period of time i remember calling my mum and she didn't answer and then i remember calling my dad and he didn't answer and i remember that feeling of complete loneliness i sat cross-legged on my bed feeling like you know all of a sudden the room felt a bit colder and my life felt a bit emptier and I looked out and it was sort of raining a bit and, you know there were buses passing my window and these as you're saying you tattoo these moments yeah. on your brain yeah. you know they they never leave you because they have such a, a deep resonance yeah. and such a an overwhelming feeling of sadness or happiness or whatever they are but these moments they really sit with you funny because when you're talking one of the things I said a lot about my dad because he, he he took a year to it, his his cancer took a year to kill him and he knew he was dying and I knew he was dying and so I sat down with my husband and sort of said this is how I want this to go for me yeah. I think I thought I was then gonna avoid bad feeling like I'm gonna proactively spend time with him and then it won't feel mm -hmm. so bad so obviously that is not how grief works um it still felt awful but I I kept, I said so many times, like when I was in his hotel room and I, I mean, his hotel room, his hospital room, and I'd step out and be like, this is the realest my life has ever been. 
And I think what I meant, like I've given birth to three children by C-section, so surgeries, but um, there are moments in your life where you're like, I am becoming something else Mm -hmm. in this moment. And with my dad, it was like small sips of water, right? Like it was like, every time I went to go see him, I'm like, I am becoming a woman without a father. Like I can feel it happening. And that is going to, that means at some point, like it will be a hard left turn that I can't do anything except with my mother. It was like choking down a gallon of water in a parking lot. Like I have become this already and it's too much and it's making my system sick. But I do think we have those moments where they're like, oh, I can see what it was like before. And there's this moment right here. And, Mm -hmm. and the aloneness of grief is one of those things, you know, we have all these words like isolation and loneliness and, but like, one thing that people say a lot, which drives me crazy because it's bullshit, is like, mm. you're not alone, but you are alone. Yeah, you sure. are because what you have lost and who you are in that person, the tether that you have to them is yours distinctly. Of mm-hmm. course, there are other people that lost their tether. They mm-hmm. lost their relationship. I know you just had a really deep, profound loss of a beloved friend and you, mm-hmm. you are in this again. Um, and, and but you lost your relationship to Poppy. Yeah. Amber lost yeah. a different relationship. And so when people say, no, I'm here, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. That's that's like sitting next to somebody waiting for a bus. Like, yeah. you're not going to harm me here. And maybe I'm a little safer because you're here. Yeah. But I'm waiting for a bus and you're yeah. waiting for a bus. This has been a huge part of, of you know, my kind of my relationship with my sister, for example understanding that well we both lost our dad but i lost my dad and she lost her dad and our brother lost his dad right this was a this was a real a real big moment for me when my when my we were in the hospice for 48 hours with my dad he you know at at the end of the 13 months that he was sick he had um a sort of three big fits and then actually his sadly for us and very traumatically his body was convulsing for another 36 hours um so we were in the hospice with him sat around his bed it was myself my my sister my brother my my dad's wife and and my nan and for the most part we were kind of sat around talking you know whilst my dad was still convulsing and Eventually, they they managed to placate him, and he calmed down for the last twelve hours of his of his physical life. Um, but there was this moment where we were all sat around. The conversation stopped, and the we had the radio on. We had his favorite radio station on, and it for some reason just went silent. And I was sat next to my nan, and all of a sudden, she just started screaming for her baby oh jesus you know, my dad was her youngest child yeah oh. she was screaming for her baby and oh. and I, I i reached across and i grabbed her and i held her and all of a sudden i realized that this woman was losing a child yeah she wasn't losing her dad she was no, losing her she child. Was losing her child yeah and you and then you look around the room and you realize my stepmom, my dad's wife is losing her future. Yeah. It's just wiped out. And, you know, you realize that, okay, this is, this is 
this is me. This is what I'm going through. They're all going through something totally different. Yeah. And that loneliness is, is so, so hard to feel. Yeah, it's terrifying, actually. I found yeah. it terrifying. This, this is a big part of what we do. So the tagline, actually, for the new normal is, if there's one, there's two. Yeah. And Jack always says that he was his one and I was his two. And when you're in a room full of people, and obviously we'll come back to what we do in a minute, but when you're in a room full of people and everyone is discussing their grief and their experience, you're going to start to hear little bits of your experience and everyone else's stories. It's not going to be exactly the same, but there's going to be parts that are really relatable, you know, that person over there is going to say something and you're going to go, yeah, that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. But then the next thing they say, you might say, oh, not so much. Then somebody else says something. You're like, that resonates with me. Yes. The new normal works to connect people, to bring together people so that they support one another in their, in their vulnerable moments and in their loneliness. We want to show people that other people understand what you're experiencing and what you're going through. They might not have exactly the same experience, but they certainly can empathise with you and they're there to hold that space for you. And in return, you hold that space for them. Uh, That reduction of loneliness, like what that does for a person to not feel completely isolated in how you feel, that's huge. It is. It's a treatment. I mean, it is. When my dad died, I couldn't really read books. When my mom died, I couldn't stop reading books. And I did what you're describing with the books. I'd read them and be like, oh my God, that's just like me. That that moment in the hospital, I had that. And then the book would betray me because it was someone else's story and not my story by saying something else like, oh, you know, I did this with my sister and I would throw the book across the room. Like that's not, but part of what, because I worked as a clinician for 20 years, I heard the threads of the things yeah. that were so hard for people. And I had childhood loss. I mean, I didn't, I, I wasn't like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just pick grief and loss. I was drawn to it for a reason, but there is a thematic across what people talk about. They talk about hospital rooms. They talk about a kind of isolation and loneliness. They talk about anger. They talk about hating their friends for a while. They talk about mm-hmm. needing to move. They talk about brain fog and all those things. So when I was looking to write, the experience of my dad and my mom dying, I had these anchors of like, I want the people who I have sat with to feel seen and known by, by me telling this, I know that they experienced of, you know, in the hospital room or fighting with the physician or, you know, the, I, I told, I tell the story of being in the funeral home partly for myself because it was absurd, but partly because I have heard so many stories of people like, hysterically laughing at the absurdity of there being a little mermaid urn next to a bulldog urn and which one are they going to pick for their dad I mean it's just so completely nuts so my book you know who knows what will happen with it it hasn't come out yet but but my hope is that at least the people who care enough about me to read my book who know me and have worked with me will say Oh, that resonates with me because it is, it's a treatment to say to someone, you're not crazy. It's this hard for whatever fucking reason we don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I've hosted, I reckon I've hosted 300 plus groups and I hear so much of the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So much of the same experiences over and over again. And people coming into those spaces and they're sitting there and they're saying, 
I'm completely alone. No one understands this. My friends are like this. You know, I can't go anywhere to speak to anyone. I'm like, you're here now. Yeah. This is this is your place. And they'll say, I've been feeling so angry. None of my friends understand what I'm going through. They don't get it. They keep sending me these messages or these messages. And everyone's like, everyone sits there and they go, no, 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 no. I totally get that. I'm obsessed yeah. with a band from the 80s because um, I'm older than you. And they have a album and a song it's crowded house um and they have an album and a song called together alone right so that's actually why i met my husband i went to a crowded house a derivative of crowded house at a club here in dc and he was there and um yeah they're they're the root of our story but they had together alone is like a phrase that i think about all the time which is like it is much better it is much better to be alone together. And, you know, loneliness is a different word. Loneliness, actually, there's, we have neuroscience that says the people who are lonely have different brain functioning. Alone is more of an existential spiritual state. And loneliness actually has an energetic longing to be with people in a very specific sort of way. Alone is like, I can't be with people. There isn't a way, there's no way out of this. This is this is sort of existentially where I have to be, but I love the idea of like, okay, well, at least let's do that in a room where other people have to do that. Right. Talk to us about the new normal. And I know that you, um, that you are not just in London, that you have some exciting news for us stateside about new projects that you're doing. So can you, you know, if people, if people are listening and they are excited about this idea of, maybe abating some of their aloneness to, how do how do they do it what what does the new normal offer and how do you guys work well i think it's important to go back to you know we've we've obviously we've jumped around so much in the story and the we time, have <laughs> right? um but it's it's useful to go back to 2018 um by this point my dad had been dead for about 18 months and jack and i have been spending more and more time together and holding space for each other we didn't realize that that's what we were doing at the time but we were just spending time together and listening to what one another was going through jack and i had really similar experiences with our dads our upbringings mirror one another our, our dad's relationships with us mirror one another so there was so much connection easy yeah yeah it's so much commonality in our experiences that it was really easy for us to, to sit and talk and then in early 2018 uh, Jack was coming out of another difficult relationship um, and he was taken by his mum to an anxiety retreat. Mm. They went away for a long weekend, the two of them. And whilst they were there, Jack had to fill out a wheel. Okay. And in the wheel, there were different segments that was like family, uh, work, uh, you know, hobbies. Yep. And then he got to the one that said community and he just filled it out a tiny bit. And it transpired that what he was looking for was more than his friendship groups. He wanted he wanted a community around his grief and his loss. Yeah. He wanted more than just me. Yeah. So he, we went for dinner and he sat down and he said, look, mate, he said, I'd, I'd love to speak to some other people. Would you be open to that? And I thought, oh, yeah, why not? You know, like I, I've been in group before. Yeah, oh, sure. Sure. Like, I'd been in group before myself, so I had an idea of how that could work. Um, and he said, why don't we go to the hospices? And I said, no, 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 let's not bother with the hospices. I said, 
let's do something local to us. So let's do something in London. We'll find a space and we'll just tell people that we're going to do it. So we found a space in Angel, which is again near the Emirates. Yeah. And uh, we we posted about it on our social media and we told everyone that we're going to run this group and that anyone could come down. And if they'd lost someone and they just wanted to talk, there was a space. And loads of people got in touch. So many people got in touch. <laughs> this is amazing. You know, yeah. I, I can't, you know, I really want to be in this space. Like this would be great for me or my partner or this person or this person. And so we said, all right, fair enough. Well, 21st of September, 28, uh, 21st of May, sorry, 2018, we stood in this community centre in North London. No idea how many people would turn up, so we just bought packets and packets and packets <laughs> of biscuits. We had loads of biscuits, um, which was a waste of our money. Um, and then at five past seven, five other people had walked into that room and we sat down around the table together and Jack introduced. He said, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Good Grief. This is a space for you to be able to speak openly and vulnerably about your experiences with death and loss. We're here to support one another without judgment. And that was it. We spent the next two hours listening to Jack talk about his dad. <laughs> that was meeting one. <laughs> oh, my God. But we walked out of that room that evening and we realised that Jack did take up most of that space. Sure. And he openly admits sure. that. Because he needed it. He needed that space, right? Yeah. But also as well, everyone else got the opportunity to share a little bit in there. And we realised that this open conversation between this group of people was what we all needed. Yeah. So we said, all right, let's do that again. And we kept doing it. And we kept doing it. And we kept doing it. And then at the beginning of 2020, um, we... We managed to found as a as a charity in the UK, and we had gotten to forty in person meetings in less than two years in London. So we've been running these meetings now at this point out of East London. You know, we've met probably a few hundred people over that time who had just come in there and wanted to sit and speak, and it was really amazing. Yeah. And then, of course, the pandemic happened, and when it did, we took everything online like everyone did. Yeah. And I remember our first call on the first Monday of lockdown, we have 50 people sign up. Wow. Yeah. So we were used to like 12, maybe yeah. 14 people, 50 people signed up. That's so interesting. So we cut the group in half, obviously. And yeah, yeah. Two groups. No one will be able to talk. Right. We wouldn't even get through the intros. Yeah. But we got, we sat there and we did the introduction as we always did. This is good grief, welcome. And Jack said, I'm in Essex. Ben's in East London. Where are all of you? And we all of a sudden had people who weren't coming from around London. Yeah. But there were accents from Northern England and Wales and Scotland and Ireland. And then all of a sudden, there was someone in Italy and France and Barcelona and in Amsterdam. And we realised that Grief wasn't exclusive to London of or to the UK. That all of these people were grieving independently yeah. wherever they were, and they were seeking that same connection that Jack and I had found in that barbershop in 2015. They just wanted that one other person that could understand just a little bit of their experience. 
and it, the weeks and months passed and the meetings grew and got busier and we added more meetings every single week. And then George Floyd died. Well, mm. sorry, George Floyd was murdered. Thank you. And I spoke about this recently when I was in LA. And the Americans that I were with, was with were amazed that it took George Floyd's murder for us to really reflect on ourselves. Mm. This, for whatever reason, George Floyd's murder caught the news at the, the right moment. Yeah. It, it, there, it wasn't a big enough news week in the UK. And, and George Floyd's murder was everywhere you looked. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. It, it, that we, no other story had, had, had caught, caught our media in the mm. same way that George Floyd did. And Jack and I spent so much time talking on the phone that week, reflecting on who we were on our experiences and how different other people might feel coming into our space. Because for all of our ability to see that we were different to other people, to actually really understand our privilege, we were almost shocked into it. And in doing so, we were then able to say, well, hang on a minute. What we're doing here isn't reflective of all of these other people. So at that point, we started to look at diversifying our groups. Magic. And we added, it's complicated for people who had lost people through suicide and through complicated loss. We added black and brown good grief for people of colour, queer good grief for the queer community. And then all of these other groups, lockdown loss, student good grief, partner loss, young carers. We started to, to realise that our experiences with these dads who we loved and, you know, in losing our dads a little bit younger than we maybe would like to, but we loved these men and they were great and they were heroes and all of this sort of stuff. But that isn't what everyone else went through. That's right. And so we started to add all of these other spaces. We started to create these spaces, not led by us, led by people from those communities. Yeah. Yeah. And it just grew and grew and it just got out of control at this point. And I can say out of control because it still feels very much out of control. In 2022, one of our volunteers moved to Hong Kong and they said that they would like to start meetings in Hong Kong. Oh my God. So we let them. <laughs> and now in Hong Kong, we have, I think, about 15 meetings a month nearly, yeah. including Cantonese speaking meetings as well. So we, you know, we're not just there to serve expats, we're there to also serve the local people as well. So you know, we like to think as a charity, we acknowledge and respond to the needs of communities rather than just telling people yeah. what they need. And then earlier this year, we were fortunate enough to be able to found in California and launch virtual calls across the US. So we now hold two meetings a month for grieving people across North America, which are hosted every other Monday you can find via our website we will put it we'll put it on our in our pages as well the thing that i'm so struck by as you're talking and and it makes me think of my conversations with sal and M at good morning and it makes me think of talking to amber and her experience with poppy which is like there is this energy i think when you are in service to healing <laughs> however you want to call it but I, but, but I have met many people 
And I don't know that I would, I, I think there are parts of my story that would, that this would exist in, but, but there is like a keep going. You don't have to know everything, mm. you know, be, be open-hearted and learning and serve the purpose, right? Serve yeah. the purpose. And then, the, and then the doors open and serve the purpose. Mm. And then there's going to be more, you know, it will teach you what you need to know. And that's what it just sounds like. You guys have been growing in leaps and bounds and that, you know, murders of innocent people in other countries remind you that, hey, black and brown people might have a different experience of grief and loss that we need to think about as a group. I mean, I just think that's the best possible version of iterating and learning and growing for an organization. Mm. It's a really powerful story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think that we're in a really privileged position where we have just been able to listen to people around us and 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 say yeah cool we'll just do that you know like what do you need let's just let okay if that's what you need then we'll do that that's fine and we find ways of making that happen um it doesn't come you know without its issues of course but but like but the the main thing for me is and and you know this is this is the entire organization you know and and jack and i always stood by this belief right healthcare should be free to all people there shouldn't be a price on community and support that shouldn't exist and so you know when we hear someone say this is what i need we try and make sure that we can respond to that in the way that they need us to in the way that the organization can because it's you know, it's only right and it's only fair that people get that healthcare and that they get their space. And yeah, I think, you know, when I really reflect on this, I mean, it's been two and a half years. Is it two and a half years since we went in? Three and a half years since we went into lockdown yeah. now. So we'd hit 40 meetings uh, and we'd met about 300 people from one city. <laughs> and since then... <laughs> yeah since then we've hosted 950 meetings to eight and a half thousand participants from over 25 countries around the world and i have sat on a call with a load of people from hong kong uh with that included people in mainland china and in other parts of southeast southeast asia and someone from Libya. We've That's had people, on, right? So crazy. We've had people joining our calls from Africa, from South Asia, from all, you know, from, we've had people waking up at four in the morning in Australia to get on a call. To think that we reached that far, to think that we reached people in the Middle East who wanted to come and, and have space held and hold space for others. When you, strip this back to what it is this is two complete strangers in a barber chair by complete coincidence just having a chat having a similar human need for connection I mean really that's at the base of what you're talking about so I want to say a couple of things one is I have to be respectful of your time so I could talk to you forever and I want to talk to you forever and I'm going to schedule another call but I want to say out loud to um the folks who are listening that that you and I spent some time before we started recording 
talking about what it what are the responsibilities what does it mean to run an organization that serves people who need you and that you can feel you know you don't need to write a white paper about the explanation about why this works get on a call you'll see why it works and i know you guys have methodologies and if you have thought this out and and you're bringing it to other places. But the trickiest part about this is helping people understand that it has to get paid for somehow. Mm-hmm. And that is the job of running a nonprofit versus running a for-profit is that we're always kind of, you know, seeing if there's somebody whose attention we can garner to yeah. help us do the work of our passions. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to energetically put this out there to people who are listening to know um, you know, that yours is a growing organization that is in a very, I, I don't mean it, I mean this as a compliment in a very simple way, mm. offering human connection mm. to people who are immediately impacted and changed mm. by it immediately. That's, you don't grow at the rate that you're, that you're growing if people don't directly. I mean, Hey, I'm not sure my, all my therapy clients would tell you that, that, you know, I'll keep going, but I'm not sure if I'm getting anything out of this, you know, when you're sitting with people and, and the empathy and that feeling seen and heard and known is activated immediately because our culture doesn't do a great job about talking about death in other places. Yeah. You're going right back to that meeting and you're going to tell a friend. So there is something really extraordinary um, about what you're growing. And I just want our listeners to remember that the, growing these things is hard. It requires a lot of commitment and time. And every one, every person that I know that works for a charity also has another life because that chair, you know, they don't want even want to take a paycheck from that charity because they want that money to go back into the serving the people. Um, and that your, your organization is available to receive donations when people are feeling helpless in the world. Like so many of us are right now. I I said to you, one of the things I work with together rising, which is now a really big uh, charity here in the U S but when I began with them, it was not. And I, when my dad was dying and I felt really helpless, I'd call them or email them and say, give me something good to do. Just give me something so that I can stay connected to humanity and feel good about yeah. something in in the human race so that maybe I can just edge away from the inevitability of this death. So I'm unbelievably I mean I knew our I knew I was going to love this conversation. It has far exceeded um what I expected and I I really feel grateful to know about what you're doing and I'm going to I'm going to be really passionate about figuring out ways to support it. So I've already said this to you but but please keep me um, connected in all the things as they're happening in California. And um, I feel like I'm cutting us short, but I want to be respectful of the time. I um, I want us to figure out a way to get you in our regular call so that you can benefit from all the resources and just feel what it's like to be around a nice group of people who want to <laughs> help you figure it out. Yeah, that we're I not mean, competing for your funding. We just want to help you figure it out. That's yeah. Which I, I really appreciate that. And yeah, as well, you know, we do have the virtual calls, obviously, that that, yeah. that are in American time zones. Um, you know, but we will we will be in California in in-person meetings from hopefully some point in November. So yeah, so um if people follow us on on Instagram or you know, um yeah, 
probably the best place to be, but they'll see that our meetings will be coming there pretty soon. So I'm and in the we'll process. we'll repost of that on our website too, so that people can find you. Um, yeah. Put that up on my platform so people can find you and we'll put it in. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think, um, you know, I've, I've actually, I've got another training session with our- Me too, I gotta go. I can't yeah. believe I have to go. That's why I gotta be respectful. That's okay, that's okay. That's but okay. I'm gonna, we're gonna schedule another call and it won't be a podcast yeah. and we're just gonna, we're gonna share resources. Ben, I'm thinking that's about fun. you. Please um, give my love to Jack as well as you guys yeah. are and Amber. Um, I really am thinking about you guys. I know this is such yeah, a yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your yeah, time this you. morning. No, it's an okay. absolute we'll pleasure. We'll connect again so soon. Yeah. So great. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah.